What are the core principles to losing fat? Fundamentally, to lose fat, you have to create. The man, the myth, the legend himself, Adam R. Lee. He runs a blog and a website called Physiconomics. Adam is one of the best fitness writers in the game. I highly, highly recommend you guys to, to check out the emails. They are fantastic. You can still have that chocolate if you want it, but you you have to pair it with, with a protein source. So you could have it with yogurt or a protein shake. And ultimately what happens is when they have that protein source, they tend to get more satiated and they're like, oh, I didn't really need that chocolate bar. I get the temptation to want to try and blame your metabolism or foods because on some level it takes the responsibility away from yourself, you know, from actually wanting to take responsibility. Leg day or any upper body day? Oh yeah, leg day. All day, every day, I have, yeah, legs. Adam, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me on. I uh, I discovered your content, I want to say maybe five or six months ago, maybe a bit longer. And I think what I really liked it, well, apart from like the really nice design and the artwork, which, you know, is not the, you know, it's not an art page. But mm-hmm. it's so nice to kind of see that and it makes it easier to consume the content. But what I really liked was the actual content in the sense that things were broken down very clearly, but also not not like in a way that was so basic that, you know, it's really beginner level. It was kind of at a level where I think you need a little bit of knowledge or at least people might read it and then go and seek more knowledge. So it was enough that it was scientifically explained but also basic enough that I think most people could understand it. Um, and that was quite nice to see it done in such a balanced way. And I've been consuming it for the past, you know, yeah, like a few months. Um, and obviously you've got a, a very large mailing list, I would say as well. So I really want to talk to you today about, I suppose, two main things. One is fitness, absolutely fitness, health, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. But then also actually talk about I suppose, what you do, your business, and then the Instagram page, because you're in a very crowded space. There's so many people doing fitness and you stand out and you stand out in a way that is sort of like anti-algorithm because the algorithm says, make reels, make reels. Yeah. I can't see a single reel on your page, right? Um, uh, they're covering. Still, well, look, there we go. But <laughs> despite that, you've still grown and grown, you know, for the amount of posts you have, grown very rapidly and so there's something there right like you're doing something right despite not doing what you know our overlords tell us to do so <laughs> you know there's there's something there to talk about so before we get into that um, for people who don't follow you and um, i'm sure they're going to ask this podcast your instagram bio says coach very simply coach what does that mean what do you do yeah um to be honest i think this is uh... a <laughs> Well, I guess just this this will be two parts. I, you know, I, when you see a lot of people's Instagram bios, and again, when you speak to quote unquote experts, they're like, "Hey, you know, you should have this really specific bio, and you should have, you know, in the case of the fitness industry, in the fitness industry, they'll say, you know, oh, I help men and women age X to X, and you know, blah blah blah." And I was just like, "Fuck it, you know, I'm just gonna write what I do." And that's it. So I just put coach fitness writer, and basically just link to my email uh, email list, which is um. You know, uh, I don't have like one of those pages where it, it links out to, to to several links. It's just one page, you know, one link. If you're interested in the content, check out the newsletter, basically. But coming back to the question specifically, um, for me, because, you know, I've been in the industry for 
a really long time. You know, I since I was, I'd say, about 19, 20, actually about 20, yeah, 2021. Um, and I've been a personal trainer, you know, I've done sales, I've done, I've, I've managed clubs, um, well, managed a club, um, and ended up coming, you know, then I sort of moved into the online, online space. Um, the big sort of, uh, differentiator for me and he's you know everyone's had their own version of what a coach means um for me and the way that i approach things with my clients is more of a like a collaboration right so it's not you know i always say to to clients when before they sign up with me and even went off this and i always say hey look you know this isn't some kind of a dictatorship you know i'm not here to tell you what to do and i expect you just sort of execute perfectly um, it's more just about having a conversation like, hey, look, you know, I want you to do this. This is why. Um, but also, if there's something which you don't think is realistic for you, let me know, you know. Um, and and so it's about, for me, coaching's always been very collaborative. And I think if you were just talk to any of my, my clients, they, you know, say that as well. So one of my things is that I, I don't always tell a client what to do. So, you know, uh, a client may come to me and say, hey, you know, I have a, a party on the weekend or I'm going out or I'm, you know, whatever the case is. And I say, okay, cool. What do you think we should do? You know, like I, I try and get them to think about these things because I think um, it's very easy for me to have the answers and for me to have a certain approach. Like, hey, you know, do X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. However, in the long run, like when coaching ends and they're kind of in the wild on their own, they're not going to have the the skills. They're not going to have acquired the skills if I don't get them to start thinking about these things. And funnily enough, you know, a lot of the times people know the answers. They just kind of want you to give, you know, kind of experience beat them. Um, and I, I don't mean that with you know, any of my clients. There weren't clients listening, you know, that's not aimed at anyone. Um, and, and so, you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, look, you know, what do you think we should do? And then they, they'll reel off a few suggestions, say, that's great. Let's just, I think this is, this is a good idea. This would work. Um, and you know, again, I, I do offer advice. I do offer answers. It's not like, you know, the clients are say, I hurt my back doing deadlifts. I'm like, well, figure it out. You know, like, what do you think we should do? You know, it's like, then I can pay me money. Um, but I think in, in a lot of, um, especially in, you know, in, in the fitness space, um, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's not so much the nutrition and training, you know, anyone can eat healthy and, and, and train. It's more about how do we get people to do it in a way that makes sense to the lifestyle. Um, so, you know, like if we had 10 people, they all have different social commitments. You know, some may have kids, some may, you know, be single, some may have really stressful jobs. And it's like, cool. The, the fundamentals of there, you know, eat a certain way, you know, train a certain way. But how each person approaches that is going to be different. And I guess my role as a coach is essentially essentially to solve that you know solve that kind of disconnect between okay you know we have sally over here who's 50 years old you know she's got you know a high stress job or she's retired whatever the case is and so there'll be different approaches that we take you know she might have a certain injury that's from doing certain things she might have you know um certain food allergies or certain things which she even you know beyond just food allergy she may not want to approach nutrition in some way she may be someone who likes to go out on the weekends and has a, a social life so we can't just expect every single person to kind of follow you know this this 
one size fits all approach. And, and essentially that's what it all boils down to looking at the person in front of me and saying, okay, this is what they've said. These are their needs, these are the goals, but at the same time, these are some of the limitations and restrictions we have. How do we solve this to make, you know, well, A, to get them to the goal, um, you know, obviously, and most importantly, but also do it in a way that is sustainable um, and they can keep doing it once coaching ends. So it's, 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 it's equipping them with the skills that they'll need during the, you know, the, the months and the year or however long they work with me to be able to say, okay, cool, I feel confident now that I can go and do this on my own. Um, and that's essentially what, that's my definition of it. That's how I approach, you know, things with, that's my coaching philosophy, that's how I work with clients. Um, and, and so I think, you know, if you, if you were to boil this down to like a one word, you know, one sentence kind of answer, it'd essentially be, to me, coaching is, is a collaboration, you know, and I say this to clients from day one, um, between me and, and the client. So I always said to them, look, just be open and honest, you know, there's no judgment here. Uh, I'm happy to, it's not a boot camp. I'm not going to shout at you, um, you know, or, or, or say anything mean or whatever the case is, you know, it's just, look, if you had a day we overate, that's fine. Just, just be honest because at the end of the day, it's all data. I think people also fall into this, into this thing of, oh, you know, if I had a bad day of eating, if I lie about it, it, it'll kind of go away. It'll be fine. But it, you know, when you start to look through, when you start to look, look at these things through the lens of data, it just being, you know, you had a bad day of eating, cool, but why, you know? So it's not the day itself. It's not the fact that you overate or you had a bad day. It's like, okay. Why did that happen? And how can we stop the happening again? Um, so, you know, some cli- a, a client, this is just like a recent example, the client um, was doing great. You know, they've been working with me for like eight weeks now, just solid with the nutrition and training, like almost robotic, you know, um, and they've been making progress. And then last week, I, I, when they sent you know, the logs and I was checking all the, all the, all the weekly um, data, I've noticed that their the calorie intake was way higher than it usually is. Um, and, you know, there were no, no notes or anything. So I kind of just dropped them an email. I was like, hey, you know, what's up? Like, I, you know, you've obviously been solid nutrition for the last seven weeks. And, and last week, I just realized that there are a few days where um, nutrition has been kind of a bit over the place, uh, which is very unlikely. So, you know, is everything fine? And um, and then, you know, the client just said, hey, you know, I've had a lot of stuff going on in our personal life, um, you know, some some like illnesses and in families and whatnot. Um, and of course, you know, stress was elevated and, and nutrition wasn't something which they had, you know, something that they were kind of resorting. They're basically falling into the old habit, essentially, you know, before they started working with me. That's cool. That's great. Because now we know we have the data. We can say, okay, how can we work to, to stop this from happening again? And so, you know, we set a plan and we got emotion. So the one thing I face people, and this is also very true, which I think is, is a universal thing is, is the, is the scale, you know, like a lot of people, Free cattle at a scale, you know, fluctuate and it can essentially dictate the mood for the entire day. You know, if it's a, if it's a bad, you know, a quote unquote bad reading, if it's not what the person wants, they'll be in a bad mood all day. They feel like shit. So if it's a, a, a good reading, it's what they want. They'll be over the moon. You know, they're ecstatic. They're happy, et cetera. And I always say to clients that, um, you know, again, the reason why that happens is because you're, you're putting, um, some kind of like, um, self worth of what the scale reading is saying on who you are as a person. So, you know, if the scale jumps, you're panicking, you're like, but I've been, I've been 
you know, I've been training hard. I've been sticking to my nutrition. What the hell? And, and it's like, you can't control, you know, every single thing that happens. You can't control your sodium levels, you know, to a, to a degree, you can't control, you know, water retention. If you're a female, you know, your monthly cycle will impact things. Um, and so the more you associate this, this arbitrary number to yourself as worth as a person, that's when we start to get into the thing of people start to become really weird about stepping on a scale and kind of, you know, burying the head in the sand and kind of just ignoring things um, versus saying, okay, cool, you know, I'm heavier today, but it's just data. And so for me, you know, the more data we have, the more um, you know, information I have as a coach to be like, okay, cool, this is what I think is happening. And, you know, part of that is experience. I think I'd say a lot of that is experience, but I'd say, you know, 99% of the time when I have a hunch because I've looked at the data and I've, I've spoken with the client, it turned out to be right. Like I had a client recently, for example, who um, she, uh, again, she's down 50 pounds, been doing fantastic for the last two weeks. Um, her weight was just stalled out, like it even spiked. So yeah, she gained like three, four pounds and she was freaking out. And so I just said, hey, you know, like, I think that it might be related to your monthly cycle. You know, like I think based on the, the, the past beta and how frequently it happens, I think that's what's going on here. It's probably starting this week. And then, you know, like a few days after her, her, her cycle started and she lost all of the weight, like all of that was basically water weight and she lost it. And now she's fine. And she, so, and, and so these are all things which if we weren't tracking all of this information, it'd be hard for me to say, you know, mm -hmm. I can, I can make assumptions, but it, it's good to have that data to be, you know, a bit more, um, you know, sort of uh, confident in, in what I'm saying to a client. So they don't just think I'm full of shit, basically. Um, but yeah, so I think my coaching is is very data-driven. Um, and I don't mean that, I think when people hear that, they think I, you know, I'm trying to teach my clients how to do t statistics and and all this. It's, not, it's just me. Like my, on my end, like all the client has to do is provide me the, the easy information, like yeah, your weight, your your measurements, you know, your food logs and, and biofeedback. So how stressed are you? How hungry? And then I do all the rest. That's all for mm -hmm. me. But the the good thing with the data, you know, with data is that, you know, there's that quote where men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. And it's the same thing with 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 your body, you know. Like I hear people who say, Oh, but I swear to God I'm only eating eleven hundred calories and you're like a six foot two male and you're like yeah, but are you really though? Like, are you really only eating eleven hundred calories? And then, yeah, exactly. You know, like, um, you might be eating eleven hundred calories on one day, but then you know, within the scope of a week, the weekend, like, how much are you really eating? And, and so, I think coming back to you know the, the original question, um, the uh, the more honest the client can be with me, you know, without judgment, and and just setting that setting that sort of. Um, expectations in the get-go that look you know there's no judgment here i'm here to help you i want you to achieve your goal just as much as you do you know because if you achieve your goal then look for me you know so it's mm -hmm. yeah, there's, yeah. there's skin in the game on both sides it's not just um yeah. uh, we saw one side of thing you know so the more honest you can be with me the the the, the better your results will be the sooner you're going to achieve your results um and for me personally i found that just saying that from the get-go clients are just super honest like you know they'll mention something because they know that i'm not going to judge them i'm not going to say anything you know i'm not going to make them feel bad it's just hey look you had a bad day cool what can we do to be past this you know how can we make sure that this doesn't happen again um and it just sets a 
it's just a much more healthy relationship for for everyone involved you know um mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's actually what coaching for me i know we went on a massive tangent um boils down to it's just you know it's a very collaborative at least my approach is very collaborative with how clients um and and very data driven as well um yeah. I think that's that's what I'm hearing. It's you know it, it's yeah. about getting them to to think freely. So I think it's very easy for a coach to just say, yeah, yeah, do this, do that, and it's it's a lot more difficult and challenging, and can, can kind of reveal your own personality or your own, and for some people, lack of knowledge when you have that collaboration, that discussion, because you know, like you said, when they go out in the wild later, it's better that they can then do their own thing and instead of just thinking oh what would adam tell me to do what would he it's like actually mm-hmm. no what is the right thing to do what should i do and like i think that thinking especially in fitness and health which you know is the sort of foundation of our life is super important and i think the data as well super important you can get ready-made fitness plans online for like 50 bucks whatever or you, you will pay more and you can kind of have it more data driven and more personalized you know there's pros and cons to everything, but I think the data, even if someone isn't using a coach, like I use a little log when I'm lifting weights about how much I'm lifting. And the second I started using it, literally within two weeks, there was like gains, mm-hmm. you know, at least numerically. And it was only because I could look at it and say, oh, well, last week I did that. So this week I'm going to add 10% to it, see what happens. Whereas before that, it was like, I think I did 40 last week. Yeah. Let me do 40. Like it was just totally like made up. So Personally, I'm a hundred percent with data, um, even to the extent of like you know, like getting blood tests done. I know they cost a fair bit of money, but like monitoring your levels is how you identify things. Now, all of what you've said there, someone needs to find you, right, in order to then work with you, and that goes for anyone in business. How important has your Instagram and mailing list been in acquiring customers or acquiring clients? Yeah, so. Uh, I- I'd say if, if people who have started following me recently might not know this, or they might, but originally I actually started writing like content, like blog posts and articles, and I still do, um, which has now shifted more towards the, the newsletter. Um, and then if I do have anything, the wrong one piece that gets published separately. Um, but originally when I first started, I started writing, you know, publishing content. And then, um, so that's actually where a lot of people find me. Um, like a lot of my content get linked in certain Reddit thread, um, subreddit, um, and word of mouth, you know, people share the content, um, people found the main list. Social media, to be honest, I mean, back when I was using Facebook, like I started I stopped using it, I think I wanna say around twenty nineteen, I just you know, just left Facebook and, and just stuck with Instagram. Um, but Social media actually, has, I wouldn't say social media has contributed much. I mean, if I go through all the applications I get, I would say that, you know, if we're looking at over the past month, let's say, zero from like Instagram. It's all wow. word of mouth, Google, um, and Reddit. Reddit's a, a, a big one. Like I think um, there are a few subreddits that have kind of linked to my articles and people who link went to ask the question um and then you know people who read my content sharing other people and then they sort of come on fact the email list um yeah and 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 social media hasn't been i know for a lot of people i know it's you know especially in in, in 
today either today sort of uh day and age whereas social media is everyone's using social media to for business and you know getting leads and, and and look that works but for me personally i've always um i have never sold anything on on, on social media i've never pitched i've never you know i i sell them in my posts like i've decided to get some consistency these you know this year i'd say i've been a bit more usually than i usually am but yeah, I don't, I've never done like a sales pitch on social media. I mean, probably. I say, like, yeah, your page, you know, isn't really like if I just, you know, like I've got your page up here. If I just stumbled on this, I, even though it says coach, just looking at this, the first six posts I can see your bio, your thing, I would say, yeah, this guy doesn't actively coach. That's not in a good or bad way, but I would say he's making content. Maybe he's a researcher. Maybe he's an academic, especially because it says writer. And I look at some of your content and probably say he's a scientist almost, right? Or like he, he's a researcher. So I think whether it's conscious or not, the Instagram isn't necessarily set up because a lot of people won't necessarily DM you and say, hey, by the way, love your stuff. Do you do fitness coaching? They'll just take it and say, oh, no, he doesn't do it because yeah. people don't want to make that effort or want, you know, whereas some people, like you said, you say, I help men and women lose weight in their 30s instantly they know yeah cool that's a fitness person i'm gonna sign up so it's interesting that i what you said makes sense given what like is visible um and i think and what you said is really important though because it's your articles now i suppose when most people think about sales i'd say most people don't think about reddit although it clearly works they maybe don't think about blogging anymore because everything is like vlogging so what what made you, because obviously most of your content or all of your content is writing in some shape or form. Yeah. What made you in a world of vlogs, reels, TikToks, what made you write? I just, I don't know. I, there's a certain, um, there's just something about writing that I, I connect with and I, I don't know why, you know, I, I, I tend to, Feel more comfortable writing than you know vlogging and stuff. You know, I've done videos in the past, very very early on. Like I was experimenting. There was things I've done like wanting podcasts, and and I always came back to writing. And and I don't know. I mean, I couldn't tell you why. Um, I, one funny thing is that when I actually did start writing back in 2015 ish, you know, people say to me, "Hey man, like no one reads anymore. Like you should be doing YouTube and stuff." And I was like, "Cool," um, you know, but. Yeah, Google is still the largest search engine. You know, second, I think, I think Google is still number one. I think YouTube's probably second with Google search and stuff. You know, no one goes to Instagram and says, "Okay, how do I lose weight?" Or is thirty grams of protein too much? Or what are the cases like? Everyone, you're, the first, your first thing is if someone asks you a question and you're like, mm, I don't, "That sounds a bit suspect," the first thing you're going to do is go on Google and check. You're not going to go onto Instagram. You're not going to go onto maybe YouTube, maybe you know. But I think. More often than not, you can go to Google, and then obviously when you go into Google, they may show you some videos and whatnot. But so this whole thing of you know nobody reads anymore. Like people read, you know, people read, and and the written word, you know, even people who are making YouTube videos, they're still scripting, they're still needing to write. Um, even if you're you know someone who solely focuses on photography on on Instagram, you still need to write a, a caption that engages people, unless you're like so attractive that you just whatever you know um but 
But no, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just really enjoyed writing. Um, and I think some of that probably stems back to when I was in high school and I just really enjoyed like history. Like I was, uh, uh, you know, when they made you do like go write an essay on World War II or whatever. I just, for whatever reason, I just really enjoyed that stuff. Um, and, and, uh, so I think there was probably, you know, something, you know, to do with like my past and, and, and whatnot. But, um, I just found that I was way more comfortable, um, writing and and you know getting my personality to come through that way versus like video and and or podcasts or whatever i think Um, it makes sense right to like play to your strengths because you could do what people said you know make videos make reels do all this stuff but at the end of the day if if you're not comfortable doing it you're not going to enjoy it it's going to come across on camera on audio that you're not comfortable doing it it's not going to be as effective and i think your content and it's not obviously on Instagram, you made it visual, which you'd kind of need to for Instagram, which obviously, you know, I think it, given the amount of followers you have in the time and how many posts it's taken, you know, if you look at sort of numbers here, it, there's definitely a case here that writing is important, right? Because apart from the first image on your carousels, the rest of it is pretty texty, you know, like there is quite a bit of writing here on a platform where really people are like scrolling two seconds per post, but you're getting people to swipe and be there and read it like that. I think for people kind of listening in and watching who are thinking, Oh, but I'm not good on camera. I'm not good on audio. Well, you know, you're a good case study that even if you want to write or or do another form of kind of content, it absolutely works. Now you mentioned Google earlier. So if I Google something, obviously a bunch of articles come up, maybe some YouTube links come up, some shopping. Li- There's just various stuff that Google gives me, right? Which is what I need from it. When you say Google, for people who aren't sort of familiar with it, if I typed in something to do with fitness, how do you get yourself on that front page? Like, how are you going to get yourself in front of me sitting here Googling fitness stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's, good. that's probably the answer you mean. Like a lot of people have asked me this in the past as well because you know um it's not so much anymore now and i think it's a lot less because i've kind of not been writing multiple articles i just take newsletter stuff and post sites and the seo game i haven't been really putting that much effort into it which probably isn't you know it's probably not a good thing but whatever um like even one of my fatless like you know, i've just, like not just a fatless article but i had several articles before that went viral um and sort of came up on you know, the first first page of google for a bit um, and I had, you know, even till this day, I had people ask me, hey, you know, what, who's doing SEO? And so like, I have no idea. I just have the US plugin. I just, you know, pick up a keyword. Um, and I just try and, you know, I don't, I, I think a lot of people will try to, to write the article and try and cram in as much of the keywords as possible, try and rank. But I think Google's starting to get a lot smarter now around how, you know, like keyword hacking or whatnot. Um, and so I just write the content to help people you know like this is what you need to know and then if okay, I get some keywords in there that's fine um but yeah honestly I couldn't tell you um and I don't, I don't you know I don't have a strategy I don't have like a grand master plan um I guess if you if you create content that's good enough you know because a lot of what Google looks at when they're looking to um you know where where you're where you're going to be on their on their on their uh, search page um 
essentially, okay, you know, is the, is the quality good? Is it a long form article? You know, is it hitting a certain number of words? Uh, is it original content? And more importantly, you know, is it get is it getting um, links from other more reputable sites? So, like, you know, when my, I wrote my Palace article, this is my Palace article, but various articles, you know, they've been linked in articles in like Yahoo, in just ran lots of places like sites that are really reputable. Um, and so that tells Google, okay, this site is obviously, you know, if it's being linked by a really popular website, then there's something here. Um, so that is my assumption. You know, that's what I think. And I think, but ultimately, it just boils down to not trying to, to hack the algorithms. And I think this comes back to the, you know, the comment made very early on, like you have to do X to, to, to satisfy the, you know, the tech overlords. And, and I've always just been like, cool, but also why don't you just create good content? You know, just stuff that helps people. Um, and of course there are techniques that you can use in terms of copywriting to, you know, the hooks and stuff. And again, this comes back to writing. Like if you want people to pay attention to your, to your YouTube video, you're going to have to think of hooks and you're going to have to make it, you're going to have to use those same strategies on video that you would when you're writing an article. So um so yeah i mean I, I wish i had like you know a secret strategy to, to to share but it's just create good content and then you know share it with people and i think a lot of that also had to do with back in the day when i was using facebook my articles on facebook because my audience was quite engaging and at least you know it was decently big um you know if i share a uh like a long form detailed article you'd get hundreds of shares on it so you know you're looking at people sharing it and then other people sharing it and then they were just like especially the articles that went viral you you're looking at thousands of shares in like one article um and that obviously helped you know spread the word more people came to it etc 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 um i think you've answered the question though because early on you said and then you said it again it's good content that's it. That, that is the secret, right? Everyone wants to hack. Everyone wants to, oh, you know, what, what sort of SEO can I do? Can I pay someone to do backlinks? And all that? At the end of the day, and it's never just as easy as this, but if you have good content and you're doing it consistently, it may not be your first post, unlikely. It might be your 10th, might be your 100th. But by consistently producing good content, it gives people a library to then go back on and say, yeah, this person's solid. I'm going to follow. I'm going to engage with them. But also you're in it to win it if you have 100 articles you have more chance of sort of one of them going viral or you being discovered than if you had two and so i think people focus too much and this is and we'll get speak about this in, in when we speak about fitness um and health is that people just want the hack they don't want to sit there for hours and hours and hours write these yeah. articles they want to say oh adam tell me you know what's the special word what's the special hook like yeah yeah it so doesn't it's, exist it's funny you say that because i was actually having a conversation with a client who's recently started working with me and you know he comes from a um a background of like crash diets or doing certain fat diets losing a bunch of weight they're not being sustainable gaining it back and when we started working together you know he he, he i could i could sense elements of that that old version of him wanting to creep in so you know i said his calorie intake at a certain amount and and every week like, hey hey do you think we should you know cut it down to 1600 or something and i'm like okay but why it's like oh but you know and he was, he was trying to make these excuses and i was just like 
is that really why or is it because you're sort of falling to that thing well, if I cut my calories further I'll lose weight faster I said sure maybe but you're get, you know, you're going to end up in that same situation that you were before, you know, um, and and yes, he had a bit of a, like a, a realization himself where he was like, it's it's interesting because, you know, I don't feel the urge to to overeat anymore. Like he was like before when I would do these like really really um sort of strict aggressive diet, I just you know want to eat everything inside, and I, that urge was always there. And he was like, you know, recently I had like you know I wanted to eat, but it wasn't to an extent of you know so much food that I feel like sick the next day or whatever. Um, and I said to him, look, you know, that's basically it. And so it's like, and he, he, he said this, he made a, he, he said a great thing of like, you know, putting my, putting my foot on the pedal for a certain period of time, then just easing off it. But, you know, the, his metaphor there being that going super aggressive, then kind of just easing off the diet up and just, you know, gaining all the weight back. So I said to him that that's basically it. You know, I said, you just want to kind of find that approach where you can kind of, keep doing this fitness stuff forever because ultimately and unfortunately you know you can't stay over six weeks and then that's it you know it's not like learning how to drive a car once you learn how to drive you can kind of pick it up after a few years like you know you have it's you're going to have to do something every day um you know to, to maintain your weight to, to lose weight all over the cases and 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 in most instances a more a slower rate of loss allows you a lot more flexibility you know you can go out and eat you can you know have a bit more social life you can fit some foods in that you that you enjoy um versus being super aggressive you know not eating any of your favorite foods not going out and then just being like okay this is way too hard and it's quitting um sure you know the the sustainable uh, sustainable approach takes longer but that's how most things work right you know it's just but it's just it's just you know if you this the sustainable approach works because it will set you up with the the healthy habits that are going to stay with you way after you know long after you've you finished with with the diet or whatever the case is. Um, and that's again that's a that's a key part of 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 the way that I approach things in clients from a coaching perspective. It's just you know if we do this properly, it's going to take you X amount, which is you know two or three times longer than if we if you how you've done things previously. But I can guarantee you that you're going to find it infinitely more enjoyable than if you car your favorite foods and car carbs and whatever the case is um so yeah that that just reminded me of um of of the conversation that I had with the clap but you know again there's a lot of parallels with everything yeah business mm-hmm. fitness whatever um there are no hacks unfortunately you know they're, yeah. they're pretty... it'd be a lot easier if it if there were hacks but um it's a, hacking is a great business for people who are in it, right? Because p- people believe it. So that's a nice segue into into fitness. Now, there's a lot on your page um, that's really useful. So I've kind of picked some key principles that I think the listeners are going to be interested in. And also some things that, you know, topics that are talked about so much. And there's so many different opinions on them. And also kind of things that you hear on podcasts, or at least the clickbait you know, cut bits of a podcast and you think, wait, what? Um, and so, and everyone's an expert, right? PhDs, doctor, everyone is an expert. And so my first question is, there are thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds thousands of trainers, coaches, um, you know, personal trainers, people who will give you lifestyle, diet, fitness, health advice. How can people cut through the noise? 
because if you if you have a scientific background if you have a fitness background then then fine we're not talking to you guys because that's fine it's, it's a lot easier to cut through but for people who are just like i just want to be fit and i want to be healthy how do they cut through all the noise is there a way to yeah it's it's tough um you know i think a lot of the times when you you know you see quote unquote influencers saying something like you're reading and you want to smash your head into the fucking wall because what the hell like you've millions of followers you're saying people this stuff um it's it's tough like i think one thing that um i say to people is like a very a big a big red flag for me is it when someone is very like you know almost religious about their beliefs like they'll say carbs are bad and their whole thing is like you know keto underscore babe two and four seven six it's like it's ingrained into their entire thing it's just like carbs are evil you know and etc so i remember i put when i posted i posted about carbs something and and this 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 person commented um saying how i was wrong and blah 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 and i was like cool ignored it but then i went and checked the profile and it was like you know it had keto everywhere so i was like cool but you know, are you really approaching this from an unbiased point of view? And I think it's also hilarious um, just to go on a tangent where people say that I'm like anti-low carb when I actually think keto can be, you know, not just keto, but also like a low carb diet can be great for people. And, and generally speaking, I would actually say that I'm fairly low carb myself just from a taste preference, you know, point of view. So I always find hilarious people say, oh, you know, I'm somehow anti low carb or anti-keto when that isn't the case i just i'm just anti-bullshit you know i just want people to to kind of still on this idea that this is one way to to achieve xyz when this you know to to not get too cliche but all roads lead to rome you know it's just like what approach can can you stick with um but no i think it is tough and especially if you don't have you know a lot of knowledge on the topic um but for me a red flag is when someone is very like fanatical about a certain approach you know so they'll be like you know this food is bad for you or anyone who who doesn't take a nuanced approach you know someone and you see this all of all over social media people are like oh my god you know this is killing you and then their like whole feed is just them going around the shopping like grocery store and like pulling out food and saying oh look at this ingredient this is fucking killing you and killing your children and blah 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 and it's just like that's the kind of thing which for me personally i will be very wary of um so anyone who's very like just stuck in that one thing and and just very it's almost fair you know like fear mongering you know it's very much like if you do this you're gonna die but also buy my buy my supplement stack for like a thousand dollars or whatever right um but yeah i think that for me, that's a very easy way because you know there's so many things that you know we could get into, and and I think it would be very egotistical of me to to be like, hey, you know, you can find out who the charlatans are by just following these swingsy steps. But a big big red flag for me, and this works for me as well. And I think you know, it, it also this is also how I tend to sort of wade through a lot of the bullshit, which is not in the fitness space. So I just have a rule where, you know, like my litmus, my litmus test is if someone isn't in the fitness space, but you know, they're, you know, there's like, I don't know, 
in they're a they're a PhD in psychology or whatever, but then their whole thing is, oh, sugar's killing sugar's so bad for you. Um and I don't want to name names, but there's a you know a popular um psychologist who who, you know who who's like super on that carnival diet kind of get, you know uh and just constantly talking about how bad sugar is. And I think anyone who is on the surface that intelligent, if their ability to to think about these things boils down to, oh, it's just sugar that's killing you. I just don't really trust a lot of what they say. And and look, that might be wrong, you know, fair enough. But I tend to be very wary of of the information that I digest outside of fitness spaces. I don't really, you know, digest any fitness information outside of like research papers and whatnot. Um but outside of the fitness space, like, so my brother, he listens to um, Diary of the CEO, the, the podcast, and he's had some questionable people on there, you know, like from a fitness standpoint. Yeah, I agree. And and so when I'm listening to the podcast with, you know, and, and I'm not calling Stephen out. He's probably a cool guy. I don't know. Um, but. My whole thing is, okay, look, if, he, if this guy is bringing on someone who I know is, doesn't have a clue what they're talking about as far as nutrition goes and training goes, um, how can I be certain that they're doing the due diligence with guests in other fields? Um, and so, again, a big thing for me is when I'm listening to a podcast or I'm you know reading a tweet or I'm scrolling to social media or I come across an article, um, a big red flag for me is to kind of use that same... Um, you know, sort of a thought process of, okay, is there some kind of underlying agenda here? You know, is there something which they're kind of biased towards something? And um, so I, I would say that that's probably, that would actually help a lot of people kind of, you know, mm-hmm. wade through a lot of the stuff, especially in the fitness and nutrition side of things, where someone's so vehemently, you know, against something or their whole identity is wrapped around being low carb or being the carnival guy you know that's always a red flag for me um because yeah. anyone who knows what they're talking about like you know the the, the nutrition and training researchers i respect and who i should really do a job you always listen to them and they always say look this is what we know so far like you know, this is what one study tells us this is what like the the evidence you know the weight of the evidence tells us but things can change and there's some nuance here and you know what what applies in in the study may not apply to people. And here are some here's some context, and that's that's what you want to see. You want people to say, "Oh, look, you know, this this study's come out. It said that oh, artificial artificial sweeteners are bad for your gut health, or they're killing you." And then being like, "Okay, well, what's the nuance? You know, what's the context? Like, you know, is is the study scientifically sound? You know, um, are there biases?" Um, and, and and yeah, so I think anyone who doesn't have an agenda, doesn't have some kind of, you know, inherent, um, you know, reason to, to, you know, want to do something like I always come back to the carnival people because they just, I just find them hilarious. But, you know, someone, if, if you're coming onto someone's page and their whole thing is just eat raw meat and, you know, carnival this and carnival that. I would just ignore that person. Like that's an automatic ignore. And it's the same thing on the other end. You know, someone's like super vegan. Again, I'm just going to ignore that person. Um, so that that for me is a very easy way for a lot of people to just you know 
wade through a lot of that stuff. Like if you land on a page yeah. and 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 you know, it doesn't matter how shredded that person is or how big their booty is or whoever. Um, if it's very much, if you know, they're super biased towards one way of doing something without also acknowledging the multitude of nuance that can exist on you know on, on these individual topics, then I would say just you know just ignore that person. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's. And you mentioned a few things there as well. I think them not referencing any sort of study as well is suspect. Um, Of course, studies themselves are can be corrupt if they're funded by pharma companies. If you know, there's so much in that sector as well. But if someone has that view, like you're saying, or even they sort of have a nuanced view, but they don't reference anything, they say, "Oh, did you know studies have shown this?" Or you should do this, and you're like. And then I suppose what society does is says, oh, well, they've got half a million followers. They're blue ticked. They're a doctor. Yeah, they obviously know what they're talking about. Let me just kind of listen. And there's no scientific inquisition, which like, I suppose, can we blame society for not having that? Unless you studied science in some sort of deeper shape or form than maybe high school, you don't know that like there's a certain way of like questioning things and peer Mm -hmm. reviews. And, you know, there's always a, a sort of deeper level, not just what's said. But I think that's the shallowness of society. You know, like you said about how someone looks as well. If someone's hench and they're glowing, which can also be in part to just, which we'll talk about eating well, training well, and some good genetics and some good skincare. If they're saying to you, yeah, I take this magic bullet and I look like this. Most people were sitting there thinking, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit fat. I could do, you know, I want to look at that. They're going to say give me the bullet because it works because yeah. henchman said this is what you take and it's like i don't know it's like chicken and egg you know they're unethical maybe for doing that shit if they don't necessarily believe in themselves but society is also stupid enough to believe this and it's just this like cycle of shallowness that leads to these sort of bad fitness decisions and what you said about diary of ceo yeah i think he's on a fitness journey himself discovering yeah. And I've just seen some people lately and I'm just like, yeah, I, um, you know, like I studied biochemistry at uni. So I have an, I have a greater understanding than say a normal yeah. person. Some of the stuff they say, and also looking at actual papers, I'm like, yeah, this, this is a bit, you know, and then the issue then is if you're on his podcast, he's co-signed you. You're legit. That, yeah. that's, that's a fact. You can't, if you're on his podcast in how, given how big he is in the world, Everyone listening automatically, instantly says, "Yep, that guest, they're they're the person." Because if Steve's chatting to them, yeah, you know they're the guy, they're the girl, and so I, I like, I totally appreciate that. You know, it's so difficult. Like if he's co-signing people who are chatting shit, and if people have, it, it's so tough. And you look at like Liver King, you know, who wasn't on steroids, <laughs> like no one yeah. knew, <laughs> um, and and like to be fair. It, the fact that it came out probably benefited him because he's a big man. Now he said, sorry, there's fake little apology and all that shit. Um, but I think that really highlights that you can get away with anything. You can, your whole yeah. premises, you can lie about, get caught out and be like, Sosby and carry on. <laughs> and be bigger. And it's like, yeah. What was, um, what I found really worrying about when that whole thing happened was going through the comments on his apology post and seeing people like, Oh, you're a hero, but you know, so <laughs> amazing for you to be honest. And like people who are calling him out and there are people defending him. I'm like, yo, do you know that this guy has got you to eat fucking cow testicles, whatever, raw cow testicles and, and 
you know, making you believe that's how he got his physique. Um, and now it's come out and you're still like in, you know, this cognitive dissonance of, of like, oh no, he must be a good person. Like he can't, you know, he can't be, he doesn't take drugs. And, and I don't know. I mean, I think it's just tough. Like, you know, I, and I think this is one of the reasons why I'm just so jaded by social media. Um, mm. you know, it's like, I guess it's two sides to it. I guess it's also sort of ties into why I like the email list so much because with the email list, I can actually explain a topic in a lot more nuance and context and go into a lot more detail than I could in like 10 slides or Instagram. You know, like no matter how hard I try, it's always going to be impossible for me to fit in a 3,000 word article into 10 slides as you're just looking at blocks of text. And it's frustrating because I can try and make a topic as try to be as um as as complete as i possibly can given you know the space i have um and i'll miss one small thing out and someone will say hey fuck face you know you forgot to you forgot about this fuck you go 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 burn in hell and it's like oh cool great thanks um and and so it's like it's just yeah that's why you know and stuff like that where it's like people just want information in like 10 seconds yeah, and you know, and so it's like, and and so it kind of feeds into this thing of clickbait, and you know, people saying dumb shit because that's what's going to get the attention. That's what's going to you know make you click and make you stop, and and you know, saying stuff which is controversial because that's what you know outrage and and makes and that's what spreads because regardless of you know whether it's it's um it's good PR or bad PR, you know, you're getting some attention, and some people just thrive off that stuff, um and. And yeah, I think with my email list, one thing that I realized is, well, the, f- the fact that I can just go into topic in detail. But one thing I've also realized is that the people who tend to sign up for emails, when they do disagree with me or they have a, a differing, you know, opinion, when they respond, it's always a lot more thoughtful. It's always mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, thanks for writing this article. Enjoyed this. Is, this is one part that I disagree with because of this reason, or this is my, and it's all, it's not like, go fuck yourself you know like <laughs> though i do get some people like that it's bizarre um or like people just send me unsubscribe and like bro go fucking unsubscribe yourself there's a by the bottom of the <laughs> like that. i'm not unsubscribing you um but no that's one of the reasons as well because if i say something which you know is slightly controversial or you know the the evidence is you know kind of like meh is, is whatever People send me their thoughts and their opinions, and you know I have like people who are kind of professionals in the field might say something, which is great because you know like I, I'm not sitting here trying to say, hey, look, I have all the answers, um, and it's, it's good to speak to people like that. Um, versus you know social media where everyone's just like just wants to kill you basically if you say something which doesn't agree with with what they believe. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know. I think social media is such a weird one for me, which you know. Like, I always joke that if my business wasn't online, I would just be ghosts. Like, I would not be on social media at all. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, here I am. Um, and even with, like, Instagram, I think, you know, the only reason I have Instagram is because I have, a, you know, a decent-sized following on there. But also, just trying to, I think I'm being a bit more proactive with trying to just get people to, to get off the Instagram and come onto the email list where I can, you know, nurture the relationship a bit more you know have a bit more con- uh, content which is a bit more nuanced um and ultimately that's just the kind of content i enjoy making you know like it is so stressful when you're making an instagram post and you're sat there for like 30 minutes thinking shit if i 
omit this from the post, then I have to change this or it's like, okay, but at the same time, I have to make it flow. I have to make it good, you know, visually appealing. So people actually pay attention. I have to make the font size a certain weight so that people can actually read it. And, and it's just stressful versus just sitting on my computer, writing an article and just, you know, adding the illustrations and graphs and whatever that's needed and just paying send. Um, I think, I think that's important yeah. though because that's kind of what you said earlier that's your strength that's what you enjoy that's what you're comfortable with that's what you should do right and that should be your main thing which you know that's kind of what the instagram is doing right it's getting people into that and then also people you know on instagram especially don't want to read a long thing they want you to tell them in 10 seconds how to do a bicep curl to maximize yeah. bicep growth of every single head of the bicep in one move, right? They can do at home, at the beach, and in Dubai. That's yeah. what social media is, right? Um, and if you provide that, you do better. If you posted all sorts of reels like that, all sorts, you know, if you posted the clicky bait stuff that people want, you'd grow quicker. Like that, you would, because it's just what people want and what the algorithm shows. But at the end of the day, you're doing what you're comfortable with, which which is important. Now, another or two topics: muscle gain and fat loss. Now, the I mean, the two key things in in most fitness articles, the things that are most talked about. Again, lots of hacks for it. Lots of people on podcasts saying, "No, you don't need to do calories in, calories out. You just need to." whatever yeah. you know and i've seen stuff like that lately that makes me want to fucking shoot my brains out when i, I hear know. someone it's say that it's, just... it's physics it's physics yeah. right like it's entropy it's energy um I th- i'm sure i saw someone on steven's podcast say and maybe i think it was the way they edited it as well because when i listened to it there was obviously nuance right but it's still dangerous showing that yeah in a clip because then people say fucking hell there are more pies love yeah. And then you're like, no, like, let's not do that. Like, that's a stupid decision. Um, what are the core principles of fat loss? Like what are the, the key things that, in your opinion, and from the papers you read, you know, what are the core principles to losing fat? So if you're going to strip it down to just, you know, bare fundamentals, mm-hmm. you have to, like, regardless of what anyone tells you, regardless of the name of the diet you know regardless of whatever fundamentally to lose fat you have to create some sort of an energy deficit which forces your body to use its own stores um you know by fat stores as fuel and over time you'll lose fat and weight there's no two ways around it so you can either create this deficit through exercise you know you can burn more more calories or you can make some adjustments through your diet um which i think is a much more sane approach because um for a number of reasons um but fundamentally it's a lot easier to cut 500 calories from your diet than it is to burn 500 calories you know but even going into the the complexity for the human body some of the energy compensation that can occur um which I, I actually posted about recently on Instagram. So, you know, it's calories in, calories out. Lord, I think the, the post was called. Um, and that basically goes into some, some of the nuances. I have a very detailed topic for people are interested on calories in, calories out and why there's 
yes, it's way complicated. Like human body is super complex and, you know, it's not as simple as calories in, calories out. However, calories in, calories out still matters. You know, it still boils down to your total energy balance. And I will, I will die on this hill. Like this is, you know, I will, (laughs) this is something which I feel is where the bigger confusion lies because, you know, a lot of people come on and say, um, oh, but, you know, calories in, calories out is bullshit. And then you listen to what they say and they're inadvertently basically telling people to create a deficit. You know, cut out the processed food, eat more whole food, eat more protein. Cool. What happens when people go from eating McDonald's three times a day to eating vegetables and meat? They lose weight because, guess what? They consume fewer calories. Um, you know, look at the keto diet. You cut out carbs. And, but now that's the other thing. Like when you cut out carbs, you're also cutting out a lot of the processed foods. A lot of the processed foods are easier to eat. They're higher in calories, um, you know, per gram. Um, and then when you switch to eating more protein, eating more vegetables, eating more, you know, fiber, you're more satiated. You're, you know, you're, you're not, you're, but ultimately you're still in a deficit. Fasting, you don't eat for a day, then you eat again. Deficit. Um, we could do this all day, you know, this, it's, this ultimately that's what it boils down to. Um, and yes, there are nuances, but, that is amount like the, the nuances you know the whole all of the stuff that i hear is well like one of the things that i i tend to hear a lot is you know oh so what you're saying that 500 calories in the snickers bar is the same as 500 calories in in a chicken breast like yeah yeah that's literally what i'm saying because calories are just a measurement of energy so chicken breast 500 calories snickers bar 500 calories you know how many grams chicken breast that is they both have 500 calories. Now, how your body metabolizes those calories is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Snickers bar, you know, more of those calories may be used for for fat storage and they make it more directly stored. Protein can't be stored in the body. So your body will either use it for what it needs to do um, and then, you know, you'll, you'll piss up the rest. And, or, you know, if, uh, this, you know, of course, protein will also have, um, there's a higher thermic effect of food. So some of those calories we burnt off, you know, just through digestion and storage, et cetera. But that doesn't mass- matter, you know, unless you're studying this stuff in a lab, um, you just need to create an energy deficit or a calorie deficit in, in some way that's sustainable for you. Um, and for a lot of people, that's just making, you know, a few adjustments to their diet. So it could be cutting out, cutting out an extra snack they have that day or being more mindful around the snacking. Um, so, so one thing I say to my clients, for example, is if, if I have a client who just loves to snack, like they have, you know, a particularly troublesome sweet tooth, one thing that I say to them is, cool, you can still have that chocolate if you want it, but you, you have to pair it with, with a protein source. So you could have it with yogurt and so, or protein shake. And ultimately what happens is when they have that protein source, they tend to get more satiated and they're like, oh, I didn't really need that chocolate bar. Um, and so, and so ultimately, you know, if you're looking to lose fat, that's all that boils down to. And if you don't believe me, I have a challenge just for one month, just track your food intake for one month. Um, you know, work out how many calories you need to eat to lose, you know, a certain amount of weight. Um, you know, or just cut 500 calories from your diet in some shape or form. That could be, you know, moving, removing 120 calories from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, removing a snack, whatever, just try it for a month, track your food, stick to that deficit. And if you don't lose weight, you know, if you don't start to see changes, 
then you come back to me and I will eat my shoe or something. Um, but of course, you know, there are nuances. So what we know in, in the research, for example, and I don't know if you want me to get into this, but I'm happy to, to talk about it. Um, and so one of the, one of the, the big arguments against calories and calories out is ignoring all the, the food quality stuff because there have been dozens of examples of people who've eaten, you know, junk food and lost weight. And actually not just lost weight, but improved their health. So there was this science teacher in America who ate McDonald's for breakfast, mm. lunch, and dinner, I think. Yeah, so three yeah. meals. And all he did was control his calories. So even though he was eating McDonald's, he was in a deficit of calories. After, I think, a certain amount of time, he lost, I don't know how much weight. And his, his blood cholesterol improved. His, um, his health overall improved. Um, and so the biggest thing that people can do for their health is just, if you have excess body fat, is just to lose body fat. Um, and that's, and people hear that. And, and this, it just blows their mind because they're like, you know, that, that can't be that easy. You know, it's not, it's simple, but when you're trying to implement this stuff into, into your real life, sure, it is not that easy. However, that doesn't change the fact that food quality, um, is somehow more important than total caloric intake. Now, obviously food quality is important. And anyone who knows what they're talking about isn't saying that food quality doesn't matter. Um, yes, you should be eating as healthily as you can. Um, but that is one of the arguments that I heard against, um, the calories and calories out. But, um, but you know, again, there's enough evidence to, to suggest, you know, both in, in the research, but also just people doing random experiments online, um, that as long as your total caloric intake is controlled and you're in a deficit, you will use that. Um, now the other thing is that people will say, um, oh, you know, I, I, I create a 500 calorie deficit and I stop using weight. And so this is where it starts to get more interesting because the body has mechanisms in place to stop you from losing weight. Um, you know, it's not metabolic damage. Your metabolism doesn't get damaged. This it's a word that sounds similar. They tend to get conflated. Um, but the word that people actually mean is metabolic adaptation. So, um, you know, all of the, the components of your metabolism, so, you know, your, uh, your basal metabolic rate, uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is all the movement that you do, which is basically me moving my hands around. Um, and some people would class walking as, as meat as well. Um, which call, you know, like sure. I, I know some people get really weird about oh, but walking isn't exercise, like call cool. doesn't matter, you know, fuck you because you're being pedantic. But um so and so that and we have the effect of food and obviously we have physical activity. Um so these are the components. So when people think of metabolism, they think of this like this thing that some it's you know, it's like this this thing that resides in each of us and, and we either have a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism and we can't do anything about it. Um, it turns out that there isn't that much variation in your metabolic rate. If we take two people who are the same height, same weight, same gender, uh, even, you know, if we take a male and a female, we weigh the same or the same height, you're looking at, I'm going to mess the numbers up. I think it's a 30 calorie difference or 100 calorie difference in, in, in the metabolic rate, in metabolism. Um, so the biggest impact to your, to your total metabolic rate is things like, you know, how tall you are, how much you weigh and like fat free mass, so muscle mass. Um, and that's where a lot of the, you know, the differences are. So, you know, if you had a 300 pound person compared to 160 pound person, 300, 300 pound person is going to require more calories to maintain their weight. Um, which I think make, you know, sense intuitively, like, you know, 
you'd be have a bodybuilder who's super jacked, you know, six foot two, like The Rock, for example. He's definitely going to need to mean more calories to maintain his weight than a female who's five foot two. You know, doesn't work out. Um, so, but when we take people who are the same height, the same weight, same sort of age, same gender, there isn't much variation. I think the variation is like ten percent or something. Um, so you know, um, so that's that's the other thing. So coming back to metabolic adaptation, each component of your metabolism adapts. So as you start to lose weight, um, your resting your resting metabolic rate reduces because you know you're using fat, which is actually metabolic metabolically active. So a lot of people think of that as this sort of inert tissue that you know just kind of sticks to you and kind of grows to look at, however. But um, fat still burns around two calories per pound, so it is is it active? You know, it, sorry, it is metabolically active. So if you lost, you know you know 100 pounds or whatever you're going to see an impact on your metabolic rate what's that like 200 calories um of course you know even if you do everything right from a from a protein intake strength training you're losing weight at a good amount you will lose some muscle tissue some of this will just be muscle blackened water but of course so as you start to get super lean you're going to lose some muscle tissue as well um and that will impact your metabolic rate as well um and so a smaller body burns fewer calories, so you know your metabolic rate drops. Um, you're now eating fewer calories. You know, you're eating less food, so the the thermic effect of food is now reduced. So you know, if you're eating, generally speaking, the thermic effect of food in a mixed meal is about twenty uh, percent. Uh, oh, sorry, ten percent. Um, so you know, if you're eating two hundred calories a day, you're looking at two hundred calories are being burnt just through digestion and storage. However, it's only ten percent, so it's not going to make a huge difference. But you're now eating less food, so your, you know, your, your, the, the component of your metabolism that is, you know, contributes to like uh, storage digestion. You're now burning fewer calories to that as well. Physical activity, you know, I think most people who tried to diet and lost quite a bit of weight realize that your energy levels drop, move around less. Um, so that automatically means your energy expenditure drops. Um, you may not be able to train as hard, so you're not burning. You're now burning fewer calories through training. Um, but there is another very interesting um, part to the physical activity side of things, and, and which is uh, energy compensation. Um, so, back in like I think 2016, um, Herman Ponser he he recently uh, released a book called Burn, uh, where he's he's discussed a lot of his research on this topic. But he he, uh, he and his research group they released a study where they found that there's a limit to how many calories you burn. So when most people think of burning calories through exercise and think, oh, okay, if I go for a run and I burn 500 calories, that means that I've increased my energy expenditure by 500 calories. However, that might that may or may not be true depending on the person. Um, but there's a limit to, to how many calories you burn because you can't just keep burning calories forever. Um, so, you know, you might go for a run and burn 500 calories, but now your body will compensate for that increase in activity by by reducing other components of your metabolism. So your resting metabolic rate may drop a little bit. You may move around less, so neat drops. Um, and so what you thought was a 500-calorie run may only be 200 calories or 300 calories. Um, and and so I think the a recent study that looked at this found that on average, the, the compensation in, you know, in people living normal lives was about 28%, let's say 8% to round up. Um, but what they also found was that 
Leaner people compensated less than people who had more body fat. So leaner people compensated towards the lower end, so look at 27%. And then people who had more body fat compensated about 14, 45%. So that's a significant amount of compensation. So if you burned 500 calories, you're saying almost 50% of that is has been compensated. So you're actually only burning 200 calories. But now you can start to see how all of these things tied together where it, okay, you know, you thought you were in a deficit of 500 calories, but now all these compensations have kicked in. So your, your actual deficit now is only 200 calories. So yeah, sure, your, your weight loss has slowed out. You know, um, maybe what is what was once a deficit for you is now your new maintenance intake. So that's why your weight loss is stalled. Um, and, and by the way, this is all based on the assumption that people are actually tracking their food intake accurately, which statistically speaking, they don't. You know, people are terrible at accurately um, reporting food intake. Um, and there's just so much research on this that is is is. It's just laughable that, you know, people still contest this in in some way that, oh, but, you know, calories and calories, that doesn't work. It's like, it's just, it's just funny to me. But, but yeah, so you can see that the, the human body is, is really complex. Um, but ignoring all of that, it doesn't defy the first law of thermodynamics. Just still, if you create a deficit, cool, you're going to lose weight. Weight loss slows down or starts to store. You make a small adjustment, adjustment to your intake. What happens? You start losing weight again. Um, it, you know, so that's just the that's all it, that's all it boils down to. You have to mm-hmm. work out a way to create a sustainable, and I think that's the key word: sustainable deficit for you um, that fits with your lifestyle. You know, fits with your you know your your social life. It fits with your family life. You know, if you're someone who has to cook their own meals because you're you're can't eat certain foods that your family's eating, then you know. As DJ Khaled would say, well done, you played yourself because it's just not sustainable way. Like, how long are you going to sustain that, right? Um, and so I think create a, 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 creating an energy deficit in a sustainable way. Yeah. And yes, focusing on as, as, as many whole food sources as you can, uh, you know, as, e- eating as healthy as you can. So lots of fruits, lots of veg, the stuff that everyone knows is good for them. Like you don't need me to list out foods. Like, you know, everyone knows the kinds of foods that are healthy and foods they should be eating. Um, and yeah, that's essentially what it boils down to. Like, you know, people will try and sell you on this idea that calories and calories out doesn't work. They either have no idea what they're talking about or they're intentionally, you know, misconstruing what is actually going on to try and sell you some bullshit, um, which is more often than not the case. Um, yeah, that's that's just the yeah, unsexy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the adaptation, you explained it really well because there's a lot of people saying survival mode, this, that. There's lots of different ways, I suppose, people sort of talk about that adaptation. And I think adaptation is a good word for it. It's, it's probably, it is the word for it. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's physics. You know, it's and and fat is a store of energy. What's our body going to use? What has it used since we were cavemen? It's yeah, you know, that's, it's, that's the other so thing. Which I, that's the other thing which I find hilarious. When people talk about like starvation mode, you know, this whole thing of you're eating so few calories that your body stops using fat. It's not. It's not. You know, it's a bit dark. But I always say to people, okay, cool. Then why do people die of starvation? Like there are people who are literally dying because they don't have enough food. And yet, you're talking to me about starvation mode because you're eating 1,100 calories and your body is just like, oh, okay, cool, bro. Let's just check out and, and not burn <laughs> fat anymore. Like, you know, if someone... So where does energy come from? If your body's not burning fat, yeah, it can come from muscle, but 
your body's not going to use muscle and it's a shit source of energy and it's a lot harder to break it down with the nitrogens on it versus fat which is literally there like eat me eat me you know what i mean so it's, that's yeah and and this is why it's just you know when you say that stuff to people they, they're always oh yeah okay and i get it look i'm not trying to be a dick about stuff which i i do have a tendency sometimes on mine to, <laughs> to be a bit in your face with things which i've sort of gotten better at, i guess um but you know um it's i i get i get the temptation to want to try and blame your metabolism or foods because on some level it takes responsibility away from mm-hmm. yourself you know from actually wanting to take responsibility um and unfortunately you know the sooner you accept the, the you know the truth of the matter the sooner you're going to be able to work out a way to to get around it and make some progress um 100 yeah i think people people blame again it's like the hacks thing people want something else they also want something else to blame because it's a lot harder to say i'm eating too much i'm not exercising enough i've been lazy i haven't done what you told me to do i haven't you know i haven't been pushing it's a lot easier to say oh that bloody metabolism of mine oh pain in the arse you know i mean it's just like with anything it's easier to look outwards than it is to look inwards um especially with 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 fitness when it's so easy to do that because you go on instagram and you're like ah well they said starvation mode so that's me then looks like i'm you know back to back to fish and chips um (laughs) and so on the other sort of end of, of so fat loss that's fine very well explained when it comes to gaining muscle then um and i suppose more specifically gaining muscle i know it's not totally unavoidable but gaining muscle without also gaining too much fat like not dirty bulking but like you know what are the core principles for gaining as much muscle as you can yeah um so i actually have a a, a cute saying that i'm I'm proud of coming up with but like a few years ago i came up with this thing of uh, eat for fat loss um and trade for muscle and strength and so the whole thing there was it, it ties in with 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 both really um you know if you want to it, it's much easier to 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 cut a few of the calories in your diet than it is to you know use exercise as a way to burn calories so you eat for fat loss your nutrition handles the fat burning your training serves the purpose of maintaining as much muscle and strength as possible as you lose fat of course yes i know because i know someone's bright shining the podcast that the health benefits are there you should do cardio you should you know do exercise you enjoy it um but that's just a very simple way that i started responding to a lot of people when i started getting these emails like oh you know what's more important cardio or strength blah 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 um with muscle gain it's slightly flipped so with muscle gain if you were to look at this in terms of like priorities when it comes to fat loss nutrition comes nutrition comes first and your training supports it when it comes to muscle gain your training comes first and your your nutrition supports the training. Um, so nutrition is only permissive to, to muscle growth. It's like a lot of people think, oh, if I eat, just eat a bunch of calories and eat a bunch of protein, I'll get big. Um, which with, you know, without the stimulus of resistance training, you're just going to gain a bunch of fat um, and you don't have to look too far to see people who are overeating, not exercising enough and where they're at. Um so the reason for that, for the reason why it gets flipped is because you actually don't need to eat as much as you think to, to gain muscle. Um, 
you know, like when you're a beginner, you could get away with, with a large surplus, but the more advanced you start to get, like the surplus is in it's like 80 calories or something. It's, it's tiny, you know, it's, uh, and, and so without telling your body without, you know, um, implementing things like progressive tension overload, you know, uh, getting stronger in some way, you know, improving your performance in some way over time, there's literally no need for your body to do anything. Your body doesn't want to, to build muscle. It's very metabolically costly for it to do. Um, and so you have to essentially force your body to, 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 to grow. Um, and so I would say that, you know, the whole, the old, um, like bodybuilding adage of like eat to grow, um, I would say, no, you actually have to train to grow because without the stimulus and resistance training, your body isn't going to build muscle. And then once you have that training in place, you know, you're following an intelligent training program, um, then, you know, your nutrition will support that eating enough calories, um, to, to, to support that growth. Um, you know, whatever that surplus is, is for you. Um, and just doing that for, for decades, <laughs> just doing that for a long enough time to, to see appreciable um gains of muscle because as anyone knows who's tried to gain muscle it as a natural it takes a very long time mm-hmm. um and and that's yeah, that's that's the way that i you know approach it that's the way that i would kind of distill all of the you know the, the two sides of the coin to like one you know shoot saying it would just be eat fat loss train for muscle and strength um or it would be, you know, think of it this way when fat loss is a goal, nutrition is a priority, your training supports it. When muscle gain is a goal, your training is a priority and your nutrition supports it. Um, I like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. And then, and, and now I know you can you could answer this in so much detail because I've seen it on your page as well. But briefly, well, people listening are hearing, I need to be training. And some people are going to think, oh, does that mean I have to lift super heavy, train to failure and just cause all sorts of, you know, is that what people have to do to get a hinge? Yes. Briefly? No. <laughs> no. You don't have to destroy yourself to 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 gain muscle. Um now there are there's obviously nuance here. Um you have to train sufficiently hard. Like there's no overcoming the intensity part part of things. Like obviously, you know, there was a priority in terms of training. Like intensity would be probably at the top. Um, because without some level of intensity, i.e., you know, how hard you're training. And more specifically, when we talk about intensity, we can talk about weight on the bar, but we're actually talking about how far you are from failure. Because we now know, thanks to newer research, that both high reps and low reps, sorry, both heavier weights and lighter weights can build muscle. Um, the the caveat there being that the lightweight has to be around 30 to 50 percent of your one rep max so you can't just pick up you know those two pound pink dumbbells and curl away and expect to grow um so you have to um so yeah all rep ranges and you know within a reasonable degree the the, the amount of weight you're lifting doesn't matter too much it's how close you're getting to failure um and so generally you want to be around anywhere between one to four reps from complete failure. And by complete failure, I mean, you know, you wouldn't be able to complete another rep without form breakdown. Um, so, so that is what, you know, what I mean by complete failure. Cause you know, you can go to actual failure where you 
just struggling and you know and and you could be getting all kinds of shit to try and get their weight up which you see people doing the gym all the time um but no uh technical failure or mechanical failure whichever term you want to use it basically means um stopping a certain number of reps before you get to that point where you, if you were to do the next rep before one breakdown you wouldn't be able to complete it with before um and so you don't have to train to failure but you do have to train sufficiently hard and i think a lot of the times when i say that people think oh you know like two to four like one to four reps sounds like you're not training hard but i can guarantee you anyone who's done a true hard like you know one to two reps in reserve which is a, the fancy term for it um set will know that it's it's hard like a a, a true um two rir two reps in reserve it's, it's challenging like you'll feel it um and so that's where you kind of want to be and of course you know the context being that with you know the, 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 this doesn't mean you can never go to failure it's just doing it in a way that makes sense that's safe so you probably don't want to go to failure on things like back squats and bench press um unless you want to like you know decapitate yourself or or be that person who's like screaming out for help under the bench because they they can't get off them um so but they're not like cable machines or you know body weight movements or uh machine-based movements yeah feel free to you know go to failure on um, every now and then um, I also think it's it's a good way for you to actually learn what failure feels like because I think a lot of times, you know, if I if I said to someone, "Hey, stop this 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 step at two reps of reserve," you'd look at me like, "What? What the fuck is that?" Um, and even if I explained it to you, it's very unlikely you'll get there without knowing what failure feels like because you need to you need to experience what that moment feels like. Where you can't get into another rep, and then you'll have a bit more, you know a bit more context around okay cool i should place up around this point though it, there is some evidence to just uh to suggest that um your your ability to sort of gauge proximity to failure improves with experience which makes sense you know the more experience you become um your ability to predict you know how close you are to failure does as well um and also one of the reasons why i generally tend to tell people to avoid like super high rep sets is because it, it did, again, the evidence certainly suggests suggest, and there's very limited research in this area. So, you know, it could change tomorrow. Um, but what, knowing what we know at the moment, um, the higher the reps, um, the more likely someone is to confuse fatigue and discomfort for, for effort. So I, I I get, you know, anyone who's done like a, a hard 20 rep set, it fucking sucks. Don't do it. It's, it's absolutely torture. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, it's like people will, and I think there's, there's a study where they, um, the researchers are testing and what they found was that people, you know, stopped a few reps before, actually not even a few reps, like quite a few reps before they reached failure because, you know, they confused fatigue and discomfort for being close to failure when really they could they had a lot more reps that they could have pushed out um and and yeah so i think that is fundamentally what it comes down to when you're talking about training to failure you don't have to train to complete failure so you don't have to go you know hashtag beast mode every time you go to the gym um unless that's you know that's your mo that's what you love to do um 
but still training to, with sufficient intensity, which generally with my clients and most of the time when I'm programming, um, that's somewhere between one to three reps in reserve. Um, and, you know, the, the training to failure or reps in reserve is also just a programming tool. So, for example, you know, I may have a client start the, the first block of programming and they're only training to three reps in reserve. Um, and then in the second block of programming, we get them to, you know, two reps in reserve and then it's one rep in reserve. Um, and so that's just, again, these are all tools in your, in your toolbox that you can use as and when needed. Um, but generally speaking, it's smarter to stay, you know, somewhere in that one to three reps before you go to complete failure. Um, and if you don't know what that means, just go to failure on a, on a safe lift, you know, don't, don't go do it on a deadlift or a bench press, uh, unless you have a spot, um, also on spotting you. But I think it's good for people to to take where you know where where it's safe to do so, to take a set to, to actual failure and see what that feels like to be able to gauge you know, um, okay, cool, this is what you know this is what set to failure feels like. So then if I stop one rep before that, this is where I'd be. Um, and and honestly, like don't overthink it. So I think a lot of people get so in their heads about am I training hard enough? Am I not? you'll you know again you'll get better with gauging proximity to failure as you continue training um but yeah ultimately as long as you're improving in some way you know you're beating the logbook so to speak so if you're doing a bit more weight this week one more rep two more reps over time you're fine and i think you know unless you start to get super advanced you know some of those like uh, advanced strategies and stuff probably just doesn't apply to most people i mean hell they don't apply to, I'd say, 99% of the clients I work with because, you know, I work with just general population um, who, you know, who are looking to lose some fat, get a bit bigger, um, and they're in that sort of, you know, beginner to intermediate sort of uh, early advanced stages. Um, and, yeah, so that that is essentially, yeah, what the yeah, pain no, is. I like that. It's a good way of explaining it. And I think definitely over time and pushing to failure is, you know, because if you said to me, do two reps in reserve, I roughly know where I'll be on all exercises because I've been to failure. I know what it's like to get near it. I know what it's like to think you're a failure. And then you do two more and you're like, what the fuck's this? Um, and then, so it definitely makes sense. But I think there's also the risk you kind of touched on there and the safety with especially if you're new, like comparing yourself to others, looking at the big big boys, big girls in the gym, looking at people on Instagram, you're going to hurt yourself. And it's very easy to hurt yourself oh, in yeah. life. And if yeah. you go in a place with heavy shit, it's even like it's even easier to hurt yourself. Yeah. And then you um, will be a failure. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, even with a spot, you can still hurt yourself. Like, you know, if you're really being an idiot and they're not the best of spots, because if you're new in the gym, you know, I think, like decreasing risk of injury is important because you want to be able to go and perform every day, every week, yeah. not lift once and be like, yes, I'm out for the next two weeks, but yeah. you know, one rep max. <laughs> um, so that's like a really important part of what you're saying there as well is like, is not pushing yourself to injury. And, you know, you kind of said it throughout, but like everyone has to start somewhere and you're not going to be lifting heavy. Well, you, maybe, but you're not going to be lifting actually heavy on your first time at the gym, your first few weeks. You know, you're you're going to start like when you start a business, when you start anything, you're starting with a few followers, a few listens, a few, you know, bits of income. 
and then eventually it gets there. So I think it's really important that people listen to what you're saying there because they're good principles to live by. And I think lifting heavy can also also stresses your nervous system out as well because it's dealing with oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're if you're constantly taking sets to failure, um, you are impeding like because rec- recovery, the, t- the time of recovery increases. So you'll take longer to recover between sessions. Um, you know, you're going to be sore as hell. Um, you know, you know, uh, and fatigue can increase. Um, and so these are all things that can, again, impact your day-to-day life. You know, um, you probably don't want to, you know, be so sore all the time that it hurts to get off the toilet, you know, or you can't even like, you know, so I'm we've all been that. there. Yeah, we've all been there. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think there's a, especially in an industry, like business industry where, even though it's, it's changing now, the tradition is very much like you know, a macho kind of mindset of like mm-hmm. go What's hard and yeah, and, and even now, like when I posted that train to failure post on my Instagram, I had a bunch of like quote unquote meatheads like, oh hey bro, oh train to, is like oh this is this is a bullshit concept because people don't even train hard and I'm just like I'm not even going to respond to you, um, but I just find that argument so lazy that oh you know people aren't training hard enough so they should just beef themselves it's like or or better idea just teach them just teach them you know how to do shit properly um but yeah that's another reason why i i'm not a fan of social media so well there we go i mean there's plenty of reasons to, to not be a fan to be fair plenty of reasons to be a fan but i think in certain industries as well you know how you how social media is is quite different um you know i speak to so many people on so many industries here and everyone has a different view because I suppose they're the people in the industry are also so different. So yeah, I, I, I totally get it. So Adam, um, we are going to go into the quick fire round now. So this is one word answers max, but I'll give you one sentence to justify if you need to, because some of them, you know, I've purposely made them a bit like, you know, it's hard to answer with one, one thing because it's got to be interesting. Um, dumbbells or cables? Whichever one you prefer. That, that I didn't. I didn't say those words. You you have to pick one. This is not advice for people. Oh, this is oh. Yeah, this is you. Oh, this so is it's you. what I prefer. What you? Yeah. I think oh, it's a tough one. I enjoy both of them. Gun to your head. You can only Cables. use one for the rest of your life. Cable. Cables. Fine. I'm happy with that. Um, bench press with a barbell or dumbbell press. Oh, dumbbell press for sure. Yeah, I feel it. Um, protein or fat? Fat tastes good, but... Yeah, I'm going to say protein. I'm going to be a bro. (laughs) Now, I was going to say pasta or pizza, but... pizza for sure. Pizza, okay, I'll fuck with it. Um, Leg day or any upper body day? Oh, yeah, fuck leg day. (laughs) Arm day, every day. I have, yeah, fuck legs. Yep. Uh, whey powder or whey shakes or creatine? Whey protein. Um, cutting or bulking? Bulking. Yeah, 100%. I hate not eating stuff. I say that while I'm in the middle of a cut right now. So. <laughs> that's the that's the lack of calories. Talking yeah. <laughs> um, this one, now I know the answer to this one. Uh, real life or social media? Oh, social media for sure, bro. <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, um, and my last one is 
cardio or weights? It's mm. a tough one. See, if you had asked me this question 10 years ago, I'd be like, cardio, get out of here. Um, but now I'm not as dumb. So <laughs> I'm able to take a bit more of a nuanced approach. Um, when I say weights. Um, I would say weights as well. I think it's yeah. just more fun, frankly. But also there's, there's lots of benefits to it that maybe there's more benefits than cardio. I don't know. That's my I non-nuance. Think, I think not from a longevity standpoint, you know, as you're getting older and sarcopenia kicks in, you're more likely to like, you know, break your hip and fall over and stuff. I think strength, nothing touches strength training or just yep. overall longevity. Um, I agree. You know, I think, I guess you could make the argument that there probably will be some transference to, to heart health, though compared yeah. with, with cardio, it's not even close. Like cardio is always going to, you know, and, and so even though I said wait, I, to people listening, I would say that, you know, definitely try and take a holistic approach to, to exercise in general. Um, you know, try and get as much movement as you can, do things you enjoy, you know, get out for a walk, don't be too sedentary, um, lift weights, you know, do cardio, definitely get hot, get your heart pumping. Um, that is going to be, you know, the, the best way to, to, but overall longevity and health, um, yeah, that's 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 probably what I would recommend. Um, I agree. I think that's a trend through everything you've said, almost, and everything in health, which is balance. Like it is all in balance. Now we've talking about we're talking about so much on this podcast, and you know, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface because, as with all science, which is kind of what we've spoken about. There's so much more that people can go into. There's so much more depth. There's so many more nuances, so many more things that are, you know, personal to certain people or will, you know, affect certain people differently. And so if people want to delve deeper in that, I will put your Instagram, I will put the link to your website and your mailing list in the show notes so that people can click, people can learn, people can email you, say, hey, fuckhead, you're wrong about this. <laughs> I'll, I'll direct oh, all I'll these look, people to I'll you. look forward to those. I'm <laughs> um, so Adam, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. Um, it's been epic. And yeah, we've discussed so much and gone into quite a bit of detail for sure. So thank you. Honor, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me on. It was the first time I've done a podcast in literal years. So um, so it was good. It was good to, to talk and, and you know, a different format with, with trying to get content out. But, um, but no, thank you. I appreciate it.